So it's been 13 Sundays where I haven't been with you guys. I've counted each of them. I have, you know, like, like people in prison, they carve in the walls. The, I have Roman numerals in my garage, you know. And um, we took a sabbatical. After, after, for those of you who are new, who don't know me, uh, we took a sabbatical after five years of being senior pastor here. In the beginning, I said that's something we want, to, we want to work towards because it's healthy to take a break and to release control to other gifted people and to work cooperatively with the church. So it's been five years as senior pastor. But before that time, I was, I was the associate pastor since about 2012. So it was really kind of almost like a decade um, before I, I did this. And so much happened over those years from, from the time I became a pastor. And even before that, when I was just a part of the body here and, and doing some leadership stuff, uh, so much stuff happened over those years. There was a lot to rest from. There's a lot to recuperate from. I'm very thankful. I mentioned to Jackie and to, to, to other people. On May 30th, when I preached my last sermon here, I, I, I'm counting, remember, in my garage. On May 30th, I left this church with a feeling of just such warmth and love for all of you and thankfulness. I was not burned out. I was not destroyed and needing to go you know, have a last-minute crisis intervention. I'm so thankful I was able to take a sabbatical when I was doing relatively well. I'm thankful for that, and that's largely because of what a great church this is, and what a great family this is. But that's oftentimes people are forced into sabbaticals, right? Because things are going terribly wrong in, the, in their own self or in the church, and I'm just thankful that we were able to do it in this healthy way. And it's just something I knew was going to be an important step for me to take as a leader. And it's funny because... Um, all of my pastor friends in Saratoga and around, they're, they're, at, they're watching me. They're like, so you're really going to leave for three months? Like, maybe I should think about that. And there's lots of pastors that are launching plans for their own future sabbaticals now. One of my buddies last week uh, quoted a text I sent him to try to tell his church, this is very important. Here's what Nathan said about his sabbatical. Um, and he's like, can I, can I share about you in church? Like, sure, go ahead. So he's got a sabbatical plan now, so good for him. Um, but I'm happy to have been a, been a pioneer, a pioneer of rest, I guess. Um, <laughs> uh, over the last three months, I, I first want to talk about what good hands this church has been in. I'm so thankful to Greg, as I said, for holding down the, the, the pastoral fort here for the last three months. I had zero worries, zero concerns about leaving. And la in last week's message from Greg that I saw online uh, was such an inspiration to me, uh, especially coming into the ministry again. Because what was the message? The message is, God uses imperfect people all the time. That's his whole thing. And so all of us are qualified by God who called us. And, and for myself, that's an important message to remember as well after being away for three months. Because I, like everybody else, have my own issues and problems that don't disqualify me because God has called me. But all the preaching was very good while I was gone. I was able to listen to most of it online. And we heard from Jerome Hebert, from Greg Chandler, Greg Beach, Jason Harmon, and then we heard from David Lynn and David Murphy from our district office, and those guys are just awesome. And a guy like David Lynn talking about, like, the end times, it's just such an interesting thing because he has such an interesting perspective on, on the state of the world and then, then looking at it through a Christian lens, something that I'm, I think he's very good at that. So I would recommend you go back and listen to that sermon if you didn't hear it, David Lynn's message. But um, I listened to his message sitting on, on the shore fishing, actually, on August 1st. I was listening to church. But thankful for, the, for our, our preachers in this church, the amazing leaders that, that, that can preach here, and we're able to pretty much man the ship completely without much outside help. I'm very thankful for the progress of the worship team. Uh, 
I felt like we were, me and Julie were like planting seeds before I left. And then those seeds like grew over the last three months as people solidified their place in the body of Christ. And um, like I said, Joanna led worship, Rob Doran led worship for us. We had lots of people join the team and begin to play on the team. And it was such a delight to just turn on the feed and see who's on the stage this week. And as we said, it was never, never Greg Beach. He was never, he was never allowed to pastor in the worship team. <laughs> but I was blessed as your pastor because I knew that you guys were being blessed week after week, um, even as I was away seeking God and, and resting. I'm thankful to Greg Chandler and the admin board for holding down the financial fort. And they've Greg's reported that things are going very well financially here at the church. So praise God for that through a crazy crisis. But I'm thankful for Greg and for the admin board and the work they did. I'm thankful to, to, uh, to Jerome for the projects he's been working on in the building. And even disassembling our, our somewhat dangerous playground system was, was gone now. And so, I mean, like, he did so much amazing stuff uh, while I was gone and, ma- and made some great plans for future projects that are upcoming in the facility, along with the admin board. I'm very thankful, of course, to Jen Beach leading our youth and children's ministry. Uh, we, we did the big family camp out last week, and we, that was my first time back among the body. It was such a wonderful time. Big turnout. Uh, the youth had that big mission trip, uh, and so we got to hear all about that, and we, the mission Sunday. It was just fantastic, so I'm very thankful to Jen for all she did. And, uh, you know, one of the things that's, that's so um, encouraging to me is that people have really taken the call that I've I put out there to solidify your membership in Christ's body over the next three months. Find the part that you play in the body of Christ and do it. I mean, I've, I don't think I have enough fingers to count the number of people that have taken, taken up that mantle uh, since I left three months ago. And it's still my prayer. You know, we are, we are a body of Christ. So when you're a member in the body of Christ, it doesn't mean your name's written on a sheet. It means you're playing the part that God's called you to play. Your gifting, your talent, your treasure, whatever you want to call it. And people just saying, you know, I'm, I'm called to be on the worship team and lead worship. I'm going to do it, even if I'm a little scared to do it, because that's my part in the body. I'm thankful to, to Jesse Davidson for starting up the hospitality ministry again. I and mean, that's really cool. But, but not just Je- now we're having a big breakfast next week. So that's amazing, too. I'm going to be there. But ministries have started that I don't understand yet because I haven't been here. Like Julie started a prayer ministry, and it looks beautiful. And you can, you can put down prayer requests and then put down answers to prayer on that board. And we, we were apparently going to have faith stories coming out of that ministry. You can take a look at that board over there. Uh, but a lot, a lot has been going on. People have been solidifying their part in the body. So, thank you. As for my sabbatical, I knew, though, that, I knew that when I went into it, that Jackie and I had a lot of experiences from over our years of ministry and life to process and work through. And also, I had some questions, some theological questions I wanted to wrestle with, um, and I wanted to get into more. Kind of preparing sermons from week to week in a church, or in in some cases several sermons in a week, or services, and whatever it might be, Um, a lot of times things come up that you want to look into more, but you have to go put them on the back burner because you have other sermons and things to write. So I was excited to have time to, um, to not be on, if you will, not be the talking boy, as, well, as our, one of our founding pastors uh, used to say, and be able to just kind of rest in my own brain. Not have to deliver answers, but just to let the questions percolate inside of me from that time off. Now, we were, Jackie and I were able to process some of the, you know, in a, in a church ministry, people, people come and go over the years. You know, our, our friend group that we were in, you know, 15 years ago changed, moved. Some, some are still here, some have moved on. But 
either through death, through leaving the area and moving away because of work, or just joining another church body, you know, that's a lot to process. Because it is, since we are a body, when you lose a part of the body, it can be very painful. So we are able to process through that and, and just um, think about all, all that we've, all that we have and all of the dear friends that we have here that, that love us so much. But it was really good to take some of those, those celebrations and some of those sorrows to God and just let him process through these things in us. I mean, it is, a, it is an emotionally investing kind of position in a church um, to, be, to be officiating funerals for your friends, like I had to the other day uh, in the church, people that, that mean so much to you. Um, and, and, and also to see people um, moving around as God leads them. But there's, it was really good for Jackie and I to talk through these things, to, to share sorrow and also the joy of ministry. And, uh, and being a shepherd, it's, it's, uh, I, I just felt the love I had for all of you every day that I was gone. And, uh, and I was able to take a break from kind of shouldering that emotional stuff and just kind of put it to the side and, and let God work in my heart. And I think that, I think that uh, God really connected me with my emotions in a way that I needed. I needed to be able to cry when I was sad and rejoice when I'm happy. And uh, sometimes when you have a lot of stuff, and those of you who are in counseling positions or you talk to people, you work with people, you know it's, there's a lot that can keep you from that. So thankful for that. I tend to have really high hopes and sweeping goals in mind. And I was very thankful to, to talk to an expert, to, to my friend uh, Becca, before uh, my sabbatical. And she said to me, um, a successful sabbatical, because she's a professor, a uh, successful sabbatical is that you actually do it. If you do it, then you, you win the sabbatical game. Just, just doing it, just stopping. You've already won. Everything else is icing on the cake. I was so thankful for that uh, That. Thing, because I tend to have these big, intense goals when I, when I do things. I dream of what God can do in me and my family. Uh, I dream of what God will do in the church as we continue to lead and love this body of Christ, a new life. That's why it's, it's so, because of how intense I can be, um, it, it's funny when the first week of my sabbatical, I really felt God speaking to me in my, in my spirit about a goal that he had for me during sabbatical, which was to get my lawn looking healthier. Like, I really felt like, and this is God's humorous way of saying, like, take it down a notch. <laughs> like, cultivate this lawn. Take care of the brown grass. Buy some sprinklers. Um, and I knew it was kind of it was a funny thing. My, my, my goal was to understand the problem of human pain and suffering, the mystery of prayer, and how God can oversee so much in a broken world and that, go, that goes by. But God basically told me to, to laugh Told, told me with a laugh to work on my lawn, which I did. Because when you feel God leading you to do something, you say, yes, Lord. So I worked on the lawn, and I really, in, in a way, that was a very healing and very meditative thing to do, and it was, brought me down a notch to reality. Very restful. I also read many books on topics of interest, but I wasn't able to solve all of my theological problems while I was gone. I wasn't able to figure out the mystery of God. So a little disappointing after three months of trying. <clears throat> Again, I just tend to be a little bit intense with these things. But inter interesting, you know, I read a lot of books on different topics and learned more and grew uh, in my understanding. But the questions that, that felt so pressing to me, what ended up happening was, as I was sabbaticaling, if that's a verb, um, <laughs> what I realized is I just needed to spend time with Jesus. And that, that was something. To spend time in God's Word not preparing for sermons, 
just reading the word. But yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an amazing gift we have in the Bible. And when you read through large sections of the Bible, it's, just a, it's such a conduit for the Holy Spirit to work in your life. You feel like I'm part of this story. And it was just so striking to me, spending time in the presence of Jesus, spending time in the Word. I didn't solve the world's problems. But Jesus and God's Word and the Holy Spirit strengthened my faith in God in a tremendous way. And in being in God's presence, like, like, like Joanna sang about in that song, I just want, I just want to be with you, right? Um, those, those questions that felt so pressing kind of melted away into the great mystery that God is at work. God knows things I don't know. God has a purpose. No matter how senseless things seem at times, and no, matter, no matter what grief comes, no matter what's happening geopolitically in the world, there's a lot to be riled up about. But um, God knows what he's doing. And I felt such a comfort in the, in the mystery of God and the way he works in the world and the questions I don't have my answers to. God gave me a hymn through, through a friend of mine. I'd like to share just a little bit of this hymn. It's very poetic, so it might take some thought. It says, God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in, un- deep in unsearchable minds of never-failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. And you fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break and blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may, be, the, the bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Especially the idea of, of um, behind what seems to be a, a frowning providence of things just falling apart. There's hidden the smiling face of God who is in control. He's in control in our families, in our world, in our church. So we can trust him for his grace. There's nothing that surprises him. And even, even when things seem cruel in life, and we've had trials. My family has had trials with, you know, particularly I think one of the greatest trials you can have is when a loved one gets sick and dies prematurely, even as you're all praying for that person to be healed. You know, the, these kinds of things that really rock your faith as we've gone through in the last uh, few years here. But uh, behind that frowning providence, God hides a smiling face. He's at work. He's moving. And his presence is, um, is, is such a sweet embrace in his presence that those, some of those questions melt away because you know the goodness of the Father. God's presence and trusting in him more has left me feeling at peace even in the midst of great mysteries of God. Another thing that God spoke to me about during my sabbatical, I, can, I consider myself to be someone who has, who has struggled, a lot, struggled a lot with God and my thoughts about God and about things and has had difficulty with, with mystery at times, um, maybe even more than I thought I did. And that's why many times, you know, my, my calling is to build up um, other people, encourage each other in our spiritual growth, especially those who feel furthest away from God. I like to, that's my calling, to encourage people who feel far away. And part of the reason that's my calling is because I can identify with people that feel, that feel that way. I felt that way in my own life. 
I've struggled with, with thoughts about God and the difficulty of mystery. Um, but as I read God's word over sabbatical, God showed me that he actually named his people Jacob, uh, who, whose name was re, re, renamed into Israel, right? After a night of wrestling with God. And Israel means a people who struggle with God. So basically, you know, this is all of us grappling with life, trying to find the meaning and purposes of God, praying and, and listening and asking and, and seeking after God. We're all struggling. We're all churning all the time. And that's our namesake. Israel is a people that struggle with God. It's perfectly normal. Everyone you read about in the Bible, all the different characters in the Word, um, struggled with God from Jacob literally wrestling with an angel until dawn. And when God finally uh, touched him and overcame him and renamed him, um, but all the way through the scriptures, even, I will say, without sin, Jesus Christ struggled. He struggled in Gethsemane. He sweat tears like, like blood and wept. And he was sad that his friends couldn't even stay awake to pray with him. They just kept falling asleep. Jesus grappled with the purposes of God. If possible, can you take this cup from me? But not my will, but yours be done. You know, this is our namesake. We are Israel. We struggle with God. But you know, the encouragement is that through Christ we prevail in the struggle because God is working all the time in us. So I love that story in Genesis 32. If you feel, if you wrestle with God and you feel like that makes you a weak, a weaker Christian because you're just not, you're not quite as black and white as other people around you, know that you are in a great company and that to wrestle with God is actually a central feature of a relationship with him. It is. It doesn't mean you have to lose your faith or walk away like is the stereotype of, of people that go through struggles. We shouldn't fear the struggle we have. We should just embrace it and wrestle with him until we're done, until we're tired. And of course, you know, when, when Jacob wrestled with the angel of God, who was really kind of like a representation of God, if not God himself, the angel touched the socket of his hip and, and um, he, he was able to overcome Jacob. Jacob didn't really give up. He just, he's like, okay, it's, it's morning time. I'm just going to touch your hip here, and then you're done. You're done wrestling with me. Jacob needed to wrestle with God. He had a lot going on. He, uh, he was a, dis- a deceiver his whole life, running from his brother, who he kind of screwed over earlier in their life, terrified of what's going to happen, of being destroyed. And uh, he, wrest- he had to wrestle with God through all these fears and emotions, and, you know, that's okay. It's okay to wrestle with God. He's faithful even when we're faithless. He's, he's, he's amazing. So if you feel like a weak Christian because of you, because you wrestle with God, you're in good company. And how could it be otherwise when we're engaging with the creator of the universe who rides upon the storm and the winds, as, as it said in, in the word earlier? How could it be any different? Because us trying to understand God and his mysterious ways is like an ant trying to understand our lives and the complexities of, of our work schedule and driving kids around and making arrangements and, and all the things we learn, you know, ants cannot fundamentally understand humankind. They just like to crawl up on our legs and bother us. We can't fully understand God. He is other. He is different. He is, um, he is other. He is different. He has made himself low so that we can get a glimpse of who he is. That's why he, that's why he came in Jesus to give us a glimpse. I'm going to become an ant for 33 years and let you see what I'm like. 
and Jesus was the image of the invisible God, showed us what God is like. But fundamentally, God is greater. God is greater than anything we can imagine. Anyone that got near God in the Old Testament, they just kind of fell over, not because they were, I'm not sure if they were, it was almost involuntary. They fell face down because of the glory of God. But I feel rested in that peace in a new way since sabbatical. I feel more in touch with my emotions. I feel like I came with a spiritual to-do list, even subconsciously, even though I tried not to do that. And God really spoke to me. Um, and I remember on August 1st, as I was listening to service on, on, and fishing on the beach, I had such a sweet time. And I said to myself, this may be the best time of God I've ever had in my life. Fishing. I had, the, I had my Bible with me. I opened it up to, um, to the Gospel of Mark and was kind of reading it while I was, had a bobber on my, on my thing. And I was listening to the sermon. And um, I really felt God whisper to me, you know you can do this even when you're not on sabbatical, right? So these are the, the humorous ways God's spoken to me. You now work on your lawn. Meet with me more. That my wrestling with God is not a sign of weakness, but a sign that I really am a believer. For to wrestle with God is to be a, a person in the presence of an unknowable deity and surrounded by the many tragedies of our world. It's easy to lose heart. From, from our own households and how things are going there to the whole, the geopolitics of the world, what's going on in, 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 in the Middle East and all these things. Very easy to lose heart and to, be, and to feel, feel good. So, but he gives us permission, permission to be, to trust in him, especially when you can't understand his ways. So I guess the battle was a little less intense than I thought it was going to be because God just needed me to be less intense and to be, um, to really take a break and allow him to do the work he wanted to do. I loved being, and I, I loved being with my family during sabbatical. I loved being home more with Jackie and the kids. You know, we, we spent six weeks driving. We went to, all the way to Texas and Georgia. Oh, three, th- four weeks, really, because we went to Vermont, and then we went to, um, yeah, I, I, I officiated a wedding in Vermont. I did um, some guest worship leading at some other churches. I did some, um, some speaking at, at Christian camp. We were able to spend this great time together. Um, and I just have a, a, a deep love for my wife and my kids, having had that time together. And they're all, they're all counting down with, with dread, me going back to work or whatever. But guys, I'm still right here. So I, I really can't tell you um, how, be, how beneficial this sabbatical was, how thankful I am for you to allow me to do this, for the elders who always encouraged me to do it and go for it, even when I was kind of backing off a little bit. And I, I see that we are blessed. Me and Jackie see that we are blessed to have new life as our family people that love us, care about us, even as we love them. And I hope that some of what I've experienced during my sabbatical, that some of this speaks to you in some way, in your life. There's a word from God that I wanted to share with you today, very simple. You know, in in the coming weeks, there's going to be a lot happening at New Life. We're going into the fall season when things ramp up. I've been on sabbatical, uh, so it's it's kind of interesting. I haven't had a chance to really have a full... um, debrief with, with Greg or to meet with uh, our key leaders and all those kinds of things that need to happen. But there's going to be a lot coming up in the church life very shortly in, their, in, in the new year because God, God also lovingly provided vision to Jackie and I uh, while we were gone with lots of, lots of new directions for the church to go in as well. Uh, so I'm asking you to pray and seek the Lord with me 
while I meet with everybody and we kind of get things, get things rolling. And I want to give you uh, an amazing tool for your spiritual tool, toolbox that I, that I pulled out of 1 and 2 Samuel and 1 Kings. And that tool is this phrase, inquiring of the Lord. Inquiring of the Lord. Over sabbatical, I read this story about King David twice through in 1 and 2 Samuel and 1 and 2 Kings. David was called by God, a man after God's own heart. That's what God called David. Which never hit me quite like it did over sabbatical. But here is someone who God says, this guy gets it. Whatever the it might be, we have to find that out. David had the, the it factor. He was a man after God's own heart. And I found myself asking if I was also a man after God's own heart. You know, like his people Israel, David struggled with God as well. Just like me. David wrote some soaringly confident verses of faith in God, like Psalm 34, which I read as our call to worship. I saw the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. We'd preach this passage and we'd give more nuance to it. David was so confident in the Lord. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him from all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. He delivers them. Taste and see the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. That's Psalm 34. Man after God's own heart. I would like to elevate my experience to that level and say, you know what? This is what I want to, I'm going to expect from God. And I'm going to rise to the occasion like David and believe these things and walk with him. Very um, inspirational. But David, the man after God owned God's own heart, also wrote Psalm 13, which I guess is an unlucky psalm, um, where he is clearly wrestling with God like God's people have always wrestled with God. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? There's that wrestling again, right? And day after day have sorrow in my heart. How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look at me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I've overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. This is, this is David. He cried out to God who he knew was good. And when God answered him, he just turned the page and kept going. I was thinking about the story of uh, when David sinned and had a, had a child uh, with, with Bathsheba, but the, ch the child died. And David was fasting and praying and, and devastated. And when the, when the child finally died, he just accepted it. He washed his clothes. He ate. He moved on. He trusted in God. He knew that God's unfailing love would carry him through. In the midst of all of this, these psalms, of, they're soaring through the heavens like Psalm 34 and then Psalm 13, which is such a down-in-the-dumps down, down in the dumps kind of psalm, or the down-and-out kind of psalm. In the midst of all of this, God calls David a man after God's own heart. When speaking to King Saul, where he says, But now your kingdom, Saul, will not endure. The Lord has sought a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people, because you have not kept the Lord's command. I think there are probably many reasons why, why David was called a man after God's own heart. But fundamentally, it was his love and his zeal for God. He was zealous for God. He desired to keep the Lord's commands. He really did. And he inquired of God 
all the time. Like no other person in the Bible except for Jesus. He inquired of the Lord all the time. Way more than the average biblical character. Way more than the average you and me. He wanted to do God's will. He did it when he knew the answer. When he didn't know what God wanted him to do, he inquired of the Lord and he listened for God to answer him before he would do anything. And then he did it. So he's someone who really followed through. David sought the Lord's counsel and direction. I counted 10 times where David specifically sought the Lord over very specific questions he had that were practical to his everyday life as a military person, as a soldier. He sought the Lord about very specific practical questions. And as David waited on God, God was pleased to answer him. I think that God knew that this man after my own heart will do what I say, so I will answer him. He's not asking me to try to get out of anything. He's trying to honor me. Uh, The other feature of David, the man after God's own heart, is that when God answered his inquiries, David just followed what he said without fear or hesitation. So he appeared extremely brave. But I think the reason that he was as brave as he was is because he inquired of the Lord and he was confident in the Lord. That's why. So he went forward confidently in God. I want to run through these passages with you just to show you what I mean about David. In 1 Samuel 23, 1, it says, When David was told, Look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are looting the threshing floors, David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? The Lord answered him, Go attack the Philistines and save Keilah. So he went on a rescue mission because he asked God if he should, and God said, Yeah, go ahead. And he did it. About two verses later, David again inquires of the Lord, saying in 1 Samuel 23, 4, Once again, David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered him, Go down to Keilah, for I'm going to give the Philistines into your hand. So he got that that, um, that word from God after inquiring a couple times and making sure he got it right. Later in the chapter, in 1 Samuel 23, it says, David said, Lord God of Israel, your servant has heard definitely that Saul plans to come to Keilah and destroy the town on account of me. Will the citizens of Keilah surrender me to him? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? Lord God of Israel, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will. First, next verse. Again, David asked, will the citizens of Keilah surrender me and my men to Saul? And the Lord said, they will. First Samuel 38 and 9. And David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, God answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in this rescue. Going to 2 Samuel 2. In the course of time, David inquired of the Lord, shall I go to one of the towns of Judah? He said, and the Lord said, go up. And then David asked, where shall I go? And God told him specifically to Hebron. So David went up there with his two wives, Ahinoam, Jezreel, and Abigail. Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. 2 Samuel 5, 18 and 19, once again, the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. So David inquired of the Lord, shall I go and attack the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hands? The Lord answered him, go, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hands. 2 Samuel 5, 22, just a couple verses later, once more the Philistines came up and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. So David inquired of the Lord and he he answered, don't This is really interesting. He inquired of the Lord, and God answered, don't go straight up, but circle around behind them and attack them in front of the poplar trees. As soon as you hear the sound of marching on the tops of the poplar trees, move quickly, because that will mean the Lord has gone out in front of you to strike the Philistine army. So David did as the Lord commanded him and struck down the Philistines all the way from Gibeon to Gezer. 
Finally, in 2 Samuel 21, 1, it says, During the reign of David, there was a famine for three successive years. So David sought the face of the Lord. The Lord said, It is on account of Saul and his blood-stained house. It is because he put the Gibeonites to death. As I said, I read, I read these historical stories of David uh, in First and Second Samuel and in First and Second Kings a couple times over sabbatical, and I, and I really think you should read them yourself. They're really incredible. But David is so different from other people in the Bible in that he often inquired of the Lord before he acted. And when God answered him, he followed the Lord's instructions, and the outcome God predicted came about. So David was very confident, but he was confident because he had confidence in God's word to him. So this is, a, this is the tool that I think we're going to need at New Life in our spiritual toolbox in the coming days. Because, if anything, I think God desires that we inquire of him more than we do. So many times we can, we can look back in our spiritual lives to times we acted before talking to God, before inquiring of him. Because perhaps we don't think that God has an opinion or a thought. But David did not assume that he had the right idea. Um, he really wanted to know what God wanted him to do, and then he wanted to do it. The things that keep us from this kind of relationship with God are sin, our personal sin, where we don't inquire of God because we're trying to avoid him, you know, um, or just a belief that God doesn't care. And so we're, ap- we're apathetic. Or because we, we have a sin in our heart that says, well, if God tells me what to do, I'm not going to do it anyway. Because <laughs> I'd really like God to tell me what I want to hear. If he doesn't tell me what I want to hear, I'm going to go and do the opposite. So to be, a, to be a person after God's own heart, repent of your sin, get that stuff out between you and God, confess it, talk to a brother or sister in Christ, get it gone, ask yourself, do I really want to know what God wants me to do? And then ask God, inquire, what am I to do, God? What am I to do? There's definitely a, a huge battle going on in the world that we live in. It's an embattled world that we live in. And things can feel hopeless. And we can ask, where's God in all this chaos? Why must my enemies triumph over me? Why am I being destroyed? Why is this happening? But the next step is to begin inquiring of the Lord and listening to his still small voice as he provides guidance and answers for you in your life and for our church. The battle is winnable in the world. The spiritual battle that's happening is a winnable battle but only if God's people talk to God and ask him for his help. One of the problems is the Lord's voice is not the loudest sound in the room, in any room, and it never is. You have to turn the volume way down on everything else in order to hear from God effectively. Very familiar story from 1 Kings 19, 11 to 13, involving the prophet Elijah, illustrates this, where it says, The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then the voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah, the man of God, he recognized the Lord's presence is not in these loud noises that are, that are going by me. When he heard the whisper of God, he pulled his cloak over his head. He knew that God was with him. God's voice is not the loudest voice in the room. 
It's not even louder than your television set. It's not louder than your radio. It's not louder than the conversations you have with other people. Um, we have to turn the volume down in our lives in order to find the whisper of God. Because God is still speaking and still guiding his people. And it's usually a gentle whisper. It is good to inquire of the Lord, as David did, to turn down the loud noises and listen to what God says, like Elijah did. And as we move forward together as a church, as we solidify our membership in the body and find what part do I play, God? And then we do it. As we move forward in the vision God has for us, join me in inquiring of the Lord together, of wrestling with God, wrestling with him, of hearing his voice and doing what he says. Because over the coming months, really very soon, it's going to be time for us to step up and step out. And it will be good if we have inquired of the Lord and tuned ourselves to his word and listened for his voice because God is still guiding people, people who are walking uprightly with him, who are not lost in their sin, who are not trying to get out of obedience. He's speaking to those who want to do his will with zeal, like David, and who take care of their garbage, like David did. He took care of his sin as well. And I think, the, I, th- I think the battle that we are in, it's a winnable battle, but we must use this tool of talking to God and hearing what he has to say. So Joanna's going to come up and lead us in a closing song. I'd like to pray for all of us. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for, for your word, for these amazing historical stories of people that have gone before us. We know that you've preserved these stories for us, that we might draw from them faith, and understanding on how to live our lives. This morning, Lord, I pray that we would, if we are in sin, that we would repent of it. If our hearts are bent where we do not desire to do your will, that you would begin a work of bending them back towards you. That we would begin to inquire of you about many, many things. Because the days we are living in are confusing. There's a battle in this world. And there's lots of loud noises right now. But we need to hear from you. We need your presence. If you don't go with us, we don't want to go. As Moses said, unless you are with us. So God, make this a feature of our church body, that we would be like Jesus, that we'd be like David, that we would seek after you, inquire of you with a desire to do your will, that we would be filled with your Holy Spirit, transformed, that we would seek you together as a family in prayer and study and fellowship, that we would find your will even for us in our very specific context, this very specific place you've placed us here, that we would find your purpose for us as a church. Lift these things up in Jesus' name. Amen.